Welcome to another episode of the Wembley Way podcast. Tonight, Tom and Nick debate the best and worst of last week, West Ham's form with guest Alex Shields, five things in the EFL brought to you by Sheld, a match spotlight double header, don't say we don't treat you, England youth watch, power rankings, and finally, the listeners' questions. Again. 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 Series one, episode three of the Wembley Way podcast. Nick, how you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's been a good week, so can't complain. How are you? Uh, not so good week uh, for Tottenham. Um, <laughs> but uh, I can't complain. No, not, not really. Uh, moving straight in to the running order, the best and worst. Nick, what have you got for your best of the week? Um, so this, this is a little bit out there. Um, but it hasn't. I mean, it hasn't been loads to, to celebrate this week. I don't think it's been amazing sort of games, and, and there's been a couple of decent goals. But I'm going to go with a bit of a rogue one. Um, it's the Copa Libertadores final. Uh, Say it again. Been, I can't. Say um, it again. Libertadores. Yeah, it got better actually. That's fair enough. Cheers. Um, between Sanchez and Palmeiras. Cheers. <laughs> oh, very um, good. Uh, <laughs> and obviously, I, I didn't. I didn't watch this game in full. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a big follower of South American football, but there was a 99th minute winner for Palmeiras, and uh, it, it was they went wild when they celebrated 99th mm. minute in the stoppage time. And and this is why this is why it's my best of the week. Mm. There were some fans in the stadium, and all of the players and coaching staff and subs, as soon as they scored, all ran right over to the fans, jumped in the jumped in the crowd, and it just um, yeah, it was, it was just a nice moment to be honest, just seeing. Seeing them celebrate with the fans again. It's almost forgotten what it's like to have fans in the stadium. Keep watching sort of clips and highlights of previous games in seasons gone by. And, and, and uh, yeah, you forget what it's like. So um, just reminded me of how excited I am to get that get that feeling back again when the fans are back inside the stadium. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's, it's uncomfortable how used to, uh, used to it we've already got, right? Yeah, like not right. having the fans and it's kind of like uh, these silent matches or the, even worse, the fake crowd over the... Yeah. Uh, Oh, TV channel. Yeah, likewise. All right, What's your best? Yeah, um, mine, I've gone for Salah's second goal at West Ham. Yeah. Um, come from like a, tra- a trademark counter-attack from a West Ham corner. I think it was Trent who hooks it out into space on the left flank to Shakiri, who uh, had, who looked up. I think he saw Salah off the shoulder of the last man and managed to bend it in the box and into Salah's path. Um Salah waits for, has to wait for the floated ball, right? Um, he knows that there's a chasing defender behind him and a rushing goalkeeper in front. And he knows that they'll be all over him as soon as he receives it. Uh, a one bad touch, and one bad touch rather, and the chance is gone. One average touch, and the chance is yeah. probably gone too. Um, 
but yeah, it's my best of week because it's an outra- you know, of the, um, because of the outrageously composed way in which he controlled the ball so perfectly into his path, uh, looked up to see the goalkeeper, then proceeded to flick the ball into the far corner and all in a matter of seconds. So crazy levels of control and, like I say, composure. And for a, for a man who in the past I've noted as having a slightly unorthodox shooting technique, it's an, uh, an, an insane finish to boot. Uh, yeah, mad, really. He's back, he's back to his best in the last few games, Salah. Yeah, I was going to say that. He's, he's, he hasn't been quite firing this season. And I thought, against Spurs, he was very good. Um, and I think, obviously, against West Ham, getting the two goals, uh, he, he was back to back to near his best again. I mean, it, was, it was basically four immaculate touches that if any of them don't happen, yeah, that were quite like quite like they did. It's not a goal. Like the first ball from Trent was really good. The, the yeah. ball from the first time from Shakira was really good. First touch and the finish. It's just yeah, it's, it was, it's fine margins in this game, and that settled the game, didn't it? So it really did. What's your worst, Nicky? So my worst, uh, and I've been thinking this, thinking about this for quite a while, and it's just a bugbear of mine. Um, and I'm going to go with the coverage uh, of football from PT Sport and Sky Sports. Um, because I'm really sad and we're doing nothing at the moment in lockdown, I actually timed the half-time interval uh, for both the um, so the Chelsea against Burnley game on BT Sport. And then I did it again for, um, I think it was half-time of the Leicester-Leeds game. All right. Right. And I timed, <laughs> I timed the amount of time that the pundits and presenters talked about that game at half-time, right? Mm. So on BT Sport, um, there was... Uh, half-time talking about the Chelsea-Burnley game, including showing highlights and, and things like that. It was two minutes and, fi- and 55 seconds. That's mental. It's 15 minutes to half-time at least. <laughs> um, even more at the moment because uh, Stamford Bridge, the opposition team, have to walk all the way out to the, the changing facilities in the gym. Mm. Two minutes, 55 seconds of, of that game they, they talked about and showed replays of. It was absolutely... And, and, and about 10 seconds of that was showing a clip of Tuchel and Tuchel and Azpilicueta laughing on the touchline. Like... That was it. It was ridiculous. And then Sky for the Leicester Leeds game, um, albeit there's a little bit more to show, I guess, at half time. It was four minutes thirty in total, talking about the game and showing clips of the game. Um, first of all, it was two minutes and fifty three seconds. Then they came back for eight seconds, and then they went to another break. They came back for eight seconds and then went to a break, and then they finished with a one thirty one minute thirty seven seconds talking about the game. And by the way, just to let you know, part of that was Jamie Redknapp saying agricultural. <laughs> Why did he say that, Nick? So, uh, actually, no, this was about the West Ham Liverpool game, wasn't it? Sorry, I, I, yeah, I said the wrong game. This is West Ham Liverpool half time. And he was describing how, why, why didn't West Ham put the ball in the box for their call, the only corner in the first half they had? Yeah. Uh, and, and he said, so, Sorry if this sounds a bit agricultural. <laughs> what? Sorry, Jamie? <laughs> what, what are you talking about? <laughs> You've made up a word. And, I mean, I think he tried to say agricultural or. or I think he's tried to say agricultural, but he actually means something completely different, doesn't it? Yeah, well, agriculture wouldn't make sense. In no, that that's sense. like gardening, isn't it? Yeah, it's like farmers. Um, so I think he, yeah, he's he's tried to say a word that would be wrong, and he's even said that word wrong. Um, so, yeah, that's my worst of the week, is the coverage on Sky and BT, um, particularly at half-time, but in general, the punditry. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, you? Yeah, well, you know what mine is. Um, yeah, my worst of the week is uh, the entire week, really, for my uh, for my Spurs. Um, two games since our last pod, two losses, um, and it only looks like getting worse. If I'm entirely honest, um, for me, looking at both games, Liverpool and Brighton, um, the problem was Spurs' inability to react after conceding the first goal. Um, 
Jose's game plan is built around nullifying the opposition and sucker punching them on the counter, as we know. Uh, problem is, when Spurs concede the first goal, it allows uh, the opposition to take stock and sit back, uh, switching uh, the onus on Spurs, who are then often forced to build and sustain attacks of their own, uh, during which they seem completely devoid of ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kane's absence against, uh, oh, in the second half against Liverpool, and obviously in the entire game against Brighton, compounding uh, the issue even further. Um, obviously, now the stories of Jose losing members of the dressing room, um, that doesn't leave me of confidence that you can turn this around. It's as if with Jose, it's as if he's, you know, you're his best mate as a player or you're his worst enemy. Um, and it's that sort of stuff. Always, always feels like the beginning of the end when that stuff starts coming out. Yeah. Um, I think I could have gone into this a lot more, um, but just to round it up, um, I think he'll be given the, the Carabao Cup final in terms of like time frame. Uh, maybe if he wins that, he stays for next season. But if he, if he doesn't win that, and um, we're out of the Champions League by that point, I think it'll be gone by May. And quite frankly, it'll be a bit of a relief. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing else to say on that one. That's damning. I wasn't, expe- I wasn't expecting that comment at the end on, on it being a relief. But um, I can understand that. It's um, watching that Brighton game yesterday. Liverpool's a different, different kettle of fish because Liverpool are the, they're a good team, regardless of what people have been saying this year. Um, the Brighton game. Well, Brighton are a good team, but you cannot let them dominate the game like that and, and basically nullify Spurs' attacking threat um, and cause issues with Spurs' back four or five like they had, like they did. So, um, yeah, Kane, Kane being out is a massive loss and it'll be interesting to see how long he is out for. I suspect that moving slightly onto our, our match spotlight, I suspect that Jose's playing his little tricks and, and he'll actually be back uh, a lot sooner than people think, possibly even for Thursday, but I could be wrong. There you go. Like I said, I had a lot more to say on it, but I'm uh, biting my tongue a little bit. I thought I want to see. I mean, look, I think it's the problem early is, days, isn't it? It is early, it is early yes. days. But when I say relief, I chose my words very carefully. It's not that I want him out, but it would be a relief to see the Jose show, you know, pack his bags and head to another another town. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'll leave it there, I think. At the I moment. did see a comment actually today which, which made me laugh. It was, it was talking about Mourinho's record at clubs and that they usually have. So one one season at the start was positive and have the big success where they win the trophies in the second year mm. and then the third year the meltdown. They said only, only Spurs could have the Mourinho circus without the second year of success. So <laughs> yeah, that's Spursy in itself, yeah, isn't it? Very Spurs, very Spurs. Well, like I said, look, if he wins the cup final, um, he will then paint that as a success. Um, Levy loves him um, and he's desperate for it to work. So I think, like I said, then he'll, be, he'll stick around. And maybe then that's the foundation to stick around. But um, annoyingly, yeah, it might all come down. No, no matter how bad our league form is, it might all come down to this Carabao Cup final in yeah. April. Um, all right then. Uh, moving on to a lighter subject for some of our listeners. Um, we're, today we're talking about West Ham, probably for one of the first times, really. Um, we've brought in Alex Shields uh, as, as our first guest on the Wembley Way podcast. The interview with Alex was pre-recorded, and and here it is. Wicked. We are joined here with Alex Shields. How are you doing, Alex? Hi, guys. How are you doing? <laughs> good, yeah, thanks. Good. Good to have you here. Thank yeah, you we... for having me. Oh, no problem. The pleasure is all ours. Yeah, so we put you on really because of uh, West Ham's form. We thought nothing uh, better than to get you on to explain it. What... <laughs> Why are you good now? <laughs> um, I mean, 
I'm a firm believer in, I mean, me and Nick have had this conversation about giving managers time and we've given Moyes a decent amount of time. And I think the reasons are twofold. A, he's been able to implement his system. You saw what he did at Everton. Um, it was not on a shoestring budget, but he brought in players for value and then he got the best out of them, which is what he's done at West Ham. And secondly, our recruitment for the last two years has been very good. Mm. Um, everyone's talking about Suchek. Everyone's talking about Kufel. Um, ben Arama's come in and done well. Um, there's players that have just come in and, and basically hit the ground running and we've got a system. We're sticking to it most of the time. There's been a few times Moyes has uh, gone off book, which... Uh, hasn't pleased everyone um yesterday being one of them um obviously that's a Liverpool game um but overall I think that's the main reason is we've given him time he's put everything in place and we just hit a bit of form it's interesting you say that actually because you mentioned recruitment over the last two years and I think that everyone's highlighting sort of the Ben Rama uh obviously slowly giving his chance and adapting now looks now looks a player he was last year and yep. Sujek and Kufa but it's also people like uh, Bonner, like Cresswell is really settling in now. I know he's not the, the world's best left back, but he's definitely doing a job and got a great delivery. Um, so, yeah, like four hours, Bowen is, is yeah. more, more than just the last transfer window, isn't it? It's, it's the last, yeah. last good few. I mean, Ogbonna is someone I was going to give special praise to because I was having this discussion with a friend the other day. I don't think there's many centre-halves in the league that are playing better than him at the moment. Maybe someone like Diaz at um, Man City. Um, but... A, Apart from that, and the Fafana from Leicester is getting quite a bit of praise at the moment. But apart from that, I can't see too many centre-halves that are playing better than Ogbonna at the moment. And he's had different partners. He had Babuena, Diop's come in, and now he's made Craig Dawson in probably the best player in the league. Um, <laughs> Dawson yeah. for England. Um, yesterday. <laughs> he scores, he stops them. But no... Um, yeah, no, he's he's been a huge part of it, and we've changed systems. He's played in a three, he's played in a two, but he's he's been fantastic this season, which he should be. I mean, if you look at his pedigrees, Italian international, we signed him from Juventus. Mm. Everything is there. It's just taken him a bit of a while to really hit his stride. Yeah, wait, 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 go on, Nick. After you, I was going to say. Well, that's one of the things that's impressed me about about him, but also about the team this season is that when. Um, when Masuaku was out for quite a long time, obviously when it was announced that he was having surgery, my first thought was, well, that, that's West Ham's crew because you're playing in a, in a five-at-the-back system, really well drilled. Um, and obviously, same with, with Antonio. I know, I know the Antonio injury wasn't a change of shape, but again, it was a change of important personnel. Yeah. Um, but yeah, more importantly, the change of shape, I thought, no, they're screwed now. They'll start conceding or they won't be as, as dangerous going forwards. But it doesn't seem to have affected you too badly, especially... Uh, Antonio as well with Haller coming in is nowhere near as good as Antonio is so yeah I think um, the fact that's helped us is our wing backs at the time I mean Masuaku is more attacking but Kufal can play both roles yeah. and Cresswell even though he's playing left centre half can play both roles yeah. so it wasn't a fact that we were putting a centre half left back or a right winger right back it was the yeah. fact that these players could basically switch in and, and do both jobs yeah. um, because of the formation the midfield three stayed pretty similar um, but then it was just kind of incorporating players that may have been playing a little bit more centrally, playing them a bit more wider. Yeah. And everyone seems to be working hard. Moyes, I don't think, suffer falls. And one thing that always surprises me is the players love him. If you hear interviews, and Declan Rice, massive fan of him. Um, everyone seems, everyone that's played for him has nothing but high praise for him. It's just he's 
that man U job just absolutely killed him for a few yeah. years because it was probably too soon for him. It killed Jose Mourinho as well. So, <laughs> and look at him now, he's flourishing, isn't he? He's taken many scouts at United job. Yeah, we're going to yeah. get on that later. <laughs> I'm sure I won't be here for that bit. But <laughs> uh, all right then. Um, so, where do you think you're going to finish? I mean, obviously, we're halfway through the season now, just over. Currently in fifth, fourth. Uh, yeah. uh, How good can um, it get? I'm a realist. Um, we've hit good form, but the teams we've been playing haven't been the greatest. There's been some cup wins in there and stuff like that. Um, I think the game yesterday was a huge opportunity for us to show where we were. And Moyes has got it wrong. I think it was they were there for the taking with all their changes and we just sat off them and we just played into their hands. And I think that's where we're going to be a bit restricted that we can on a, on any day i think we can beat anyone but i don't think we consistently can do it so i think top 8 um would be a very good season if we can sneak a europa league um position uh i think if we can finish 7th i think it's 7th last um position isn't it yeah it depends it can go up if, if yeah it's yeah it's 5th and then it can go down can't it if the cup yeah. is a, Six, uh... if if we can finish 6th or 7th um there's teams that i think will falter around us but if we can keep a level of consistency, I can't see. We'll definitely finish top 10, I think, unless we have a, a meltdown. But top eight, top seven, I definitely think we can do. I mean, everyone dreams of the Champions League, but I just don't think we've got the depth to deal with that, mm. proving the fact that we're on transfer deadline day and we have... We, I mean, Antonio's not even a striker. Um, <laughs> we, we have zero strikers. Antonio's a winger who's been turned into a striker. So I'm so surprised about that. I mentioned last week when we were talking about January transfer window and what might happen and, and I thought it was nailed on that West Ham would go for a striker. I know they've got Lingard alone, but let's face it, he's not a striker and he's not no. not played for about a year. So No, yeah. I, saw, I saw an interview with Moyes the other day and he said that I think he's had opportunities to bring strikers in, but they're not the right strikers for the club. Yeah. I mean, we could have gone out and got anyone, um, but he said that he wants to bring the right personnel in, which I kind of respect. But if we're it's fair, a few hours... it's fair enough until Antonio is it? Exactly, exactly. Like, and then it's dangerous, isn't it? But... Exactly. But he's, I mean, he trusts one of the one of the youth guys, right? Uh, we got um, I've forgotten his name. We've got a young lad who's been on the bench a few times. He came on against um, Stockport, uh, who's supposed to be scoring yeah. quite a few goals, and he played Yarmolenko up front against Doncaster in the cup. Mm. Um, and I watched that game, and he did okay. I don't know if he could do it in the Premiership, but that's another option. But no, we need we needed another striker. And if we don't get one in, I've seen we've been in with Diego Costa throughout the day. But <laughs> I don't really know how that would go. But yeah. So uh, should I mean it's funny, West Ham. I guess it comes around. It's very cyclical. Um, should you be looking beyond Moyes to take you to the next level? I mean, what's how could that work next year if you do achieve? Eighth, seventh. Um, is that an opportunity for you to step up in the managerial department and look above as opposed to behind? Um, we did that before with Pellegrini and it didn't really work out. This is what um, I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, I think we have to be realistic with our level of investment with the squad that we have. Um, if uh, GSB ever do get out and they do sell and we do get investment, then potentially. But I think with the budget, with everything we've got, um, I think he's the right man for the job at the moment. But if we were to go to that next, next, next level, then we would we would look elsewhere. But I mean, you look out there, who is there? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it would be incredibly dangerous to, to yeah. try and move on from him to play a, a better style of football, the West Ham way, which seems to be just myth that <laughs> keeps on going along. Like, the, no fans care if you're doing well. That's that's that's, that's the way. It doesn't matter how you play. No. Um, and and you got to look at what he did with Everton. He got Everton to fourth. Uh, and like you said, it, he didn't spend a lot there. Um, it took a lot of years, but he didn't spend a lot. No. That, that suits your owners. He spent well and he got the players well drilled and came fourth in the, in the Premier League. So, uh, well, how I mean, it depends how high you want to go. He's more ever going to win the Premier League, probably not. But is is he going is he going to get you from a mid table team looking downwards to a top table table team on the regular? Yeah, he will. So yeah, I mean, it's 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 the idealistic view of we've got a sixty thousand seater stadium, we've got all the infrastructure to actually be a really big club, but it's whether we it's whether the owners or any potential new owners because I think personally I think they'll be out within the next two years. I think they'll look to sell. Um, you mentioned the owners. What's the update on that? Maybe explain for those who don't know why you dislike the owners and, what, as I say, what the current situation is with them. Um, I think I've been thinking about this and I think it's the false promises that's the main thing. It's like Upton Park was like our, our home. It was everyone loved it. And then it was the false promises of this brand new spanking new stadium. We're going to we're going to get the best talent in with the best managers and it's just not happened. And I think that's the frustrating thing is if, if there was a bit more honesty um, and a bit more, and they're a bit more forthright about it, then people might be a little bit more accepting of it, but it's just the garbage that comes out of their mouth. And it's, it's just a lack of action. It's just, it's around transfer windows. Like you hear details of deals and offers that we make. It's like um, with that, um, we were a couple of years ago, we were after that William Carvalho from Sporting, and they offered 30 million over like four or five years. And, and apparently they were just terrible to deal with. And the Sporting Lisbon, <laughs> he came out and called them the Dildo Brothers. And, uh, <laughs> and, 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 leaked emails or something from Yeah, that? it was a leaked email. Yeah, and it's, yeah. and it's just, it's just stuff like that just makes us a joke. And it's, and it's, yeah. and I think it's, it's just embarrassing as a West Ham fan that you see other clubs that are run really well. Some clubs like I'd say Leicester is a very well run club. Mm-hmm. Um, Manchester city to the point with all their money is a well run club. And league well run club, but obviously there's fractures there. You look around and these clubs are working. Some of them are working with less than us and doing a better job of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do think, I do think uh, there's an aspect of it in that they're, they are well known for what they've done in football and been in football and, and, um, and I think, and it's probably feeds into the point that it's not well run uh, in, in inverted commas, but that they come out and say a lot. Yeah. And when you come out and say like, you then have to back that up. And I think at times they haven't. And I think like you said, the less, I mean, when was the last time you heard a peep from a Leicester owner? When was yeah. the last time you heard a peep from the Everton owner? People like, you don't, you don't really hear from them. Yeah. He's got, he's got a Twitter account, hasn't he? David Gold. Uh, yeah. David Gold, yep. Yeah. Just fuels um, the fire, doesn't it? He's got, he's got, <laughs> he's dyslexic as well. So it's not the most well-spelt um, Twitter yeah. account as well. But he, yeah. Um, but he, yeah, but for instance, David Sullivan was leaking stuff for his son onto Twitter accounts. Yeah, and, like, he still managed the ladies' team or something stupid. Like that. Um, he he's he is he's like got like a chief executive role of the ladies' team. Yeah, so I mean, basically, that's, that's he, absolutely he, ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, and it does make a mockery of their like the the, the female setup in the, within the club. Yeah, especially when we have a higher powered 
woman on our board like Karen Brady, yeah. it, it's, like, it's like Dave Sullivan's just, it's just gone to his dad and said, what can I do? And he's been handed, a, he'd been handed a ladies team. Mm. But it's, it's, it's very complicated. I mean, you, you, you have to look at where all the money's gone. I mean, we don't, the amount we paid for the stadium and the amount say, we pay, pay a year for nothing for the stadium. Like, yeah. And we, and we pay, it. we pay minimal rent for the stadium. Yeah. Um, and we've, we've sold some players. It's just, it's just, every, nothing really adds up. Yeah. And when you've got a reputation like they do, like they did at Birmingham, now they're doing here, it's really hard to shake a reputation. Yeah, I, and, I think I think it doesn't add up because they they are essentially trying to make a profit from the club, which yeah, fine if they want to do that, that's absolutely fine. They own the club and there's a business to them, but that, yeah. but other own other owners aren't trying to do that. They're trying to either break even or, or actually just using it as a uh, as a toy, I suppose you could call it. Yeah, um, yeah. But no, there's I I I personally think don't hold me to this, but I personally think they'll be selling within the next couple of years. I think there was some tax issues around the stadium, which kind of relieved themselves over the next couple of years. Um, we've, got an Ameri- first. we've got an American guy that is slowly investing as well. Um, so I think his name's Tap or something like that, but he's, yeah. So things are happening, yeah. but that's, that's not verbatim, but I, I've got uh, my personal feelings. I think they'll sell within the next couple of years. Yeah. On a cheerier note, um, yes. From from Twitter, Paolo Di Canrio at Rio Hoy says, "Are West Ham currently the best team in London?" I mean, what does the table say? <laughs> I have to accept that. Yeah, I mean, points win prizes. Um, we we. I mean, technically, if you look at the table, we are the best team in London. Have stop, we got the stop, best? Stop using technical arguments here and, and looking at the table. What do you think? I mean, have we got the best squad in London? No. <laughs> Are you the best team in London? Actually, as a collective unit, we probably are at the moment. <laughs> um, individual talent, nowhere near. Because as much as I hate to say it to you too, Chelsea and Tottenham have got better individual players than us. But at the moment, with the run we're on, yesterday was a bit of a blip. I've not been overly critical of Moyes, even when he first joined. I've, yesterday, he got it wrong. And the game against Brighton, when we played nine defenders um, <laughs> at home to Brighton, which still baffles me to this day um but yeah no i've i think as a collective unit we are probably the best team in london but not individual talent wise at all but we just need to carry on as we are but if chelsea tottenham arsenal even get into gear then yeah they could overtake us but i'm 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 a realistic west ham fan I think you are probably the best sort of collective collective team and unit in london in terms of organization and and what what you are getting out of your, your players and squad I really agree with that I, I, as I said last week I think you will drop down and just, just due to the nature of there are, there are teams with better players and better squads yeah. and, and that will prevail over the, over the course of the season but um, I have to commend the, the job that Moyes has done I think a lot of people ridiculed him like you said from his time at United around Sociedad yeah but uh, he's definitely showing what he showed at Everton again um, so it's showing there's no coincidence I think West Ham fans and football fans in general will have a tend have a tendency to prejudge yeah. before anyone's done anything. It's like Craig Dawson. Everyone's like, he's rubbish. He's going to do nothing before he's even kicked a ball. Mm-hmm. Let, let the guy play. Let the guy manage and see what happens after that. Mm-hmm. You can have your opinions whether you think it's going to be a good deal or not. But to literally just say, no, he's going to be a flop before he's even done anything is just mm-hmm. insane. Yeah. Very rational. Right. 
very rational. And on that, we I think we're 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 close the conversation. Thanks, uh, Shieldsy. That was uh, that was great. Yeah, okay, no worries. Cheers yeah, yeah. for having me, guys. No, sure, no problem. Again soon. Yeah. So next next up in the pod, um, it's that time of the week. Five things in the EFL. Five things in the EFL. Five things in the EFL. Five things. You smash it. Hello. Before I um, bring you your EFL fix for this week. I just wanted to say, very rude Nick and not classy at all. Um, I hope you managed to stay awake through this feature this week. It should actually be Thomas Tuchel's style of play for your beloved Chelsea making you fall asleep and not awesome EFL content, alright? Anyway, here are your headlines. Who is Ben Davis? No, I'm not talking about the Spurs left-back, I'm talking about the Preston centre-back on the verge of a shot move to Liverpool for £2 million. Liverpool's defensive injury crisis is well documented and Davis is seen as a cheap alternative to help ease it. Uh, he's been a regular for Preston in the Championship over the past four seasons, making 135 appearances after coming through the youth system. In the Championship, Davis is seen as a really reliable left centre-back. He's a ball-playing defender and he is comfortable playing out from the back. Uh, time will tell if he can make a step up in quality to play for Liverpool and in the Premier League. Seventh heaven for Brentford. The Bees destroyed Sorry Wickham 7-2 at the weekend with Ivan Tony helping himself to a hat-trick and taking himself to the top of the scoring charts in the process. The win takes Brentford two points off the automatic places with a game in hand. They now haven't lost in the league since late October and are looking good to finally win promotion to the Premier League. The Bees lost key duo of Oli Watkins and Sai Benrahma to Premier League clubs in the summer. However, their moneyball approach to the transfer market keeps them competitive at the top end of the championship each season, with replacements including Tony and Vitali Jarnol making a seamless transition to championship football. Swans surge. Swansea are second in the championship and seven unbeaten after a 3-1 win at Rotherham at the weekend. The Swans are my favourites for promotion to the Premier League, as not only has Steve Cooper got them playing attractive football, but he's made them really difficult to play against. They're the meanest defence in the league, having only conceded 15 goals this season, largely thanks to ball-playing centre-back pairing of, of Ben Capango and Chelsea Loney Mark Gurhey. They've also brought in Conor Hurahan from Aston Villa on loan this month, and he's already scored 2-2. Two two. I think his quality can help, help take the Swans up automatically. Their promotion credentials will be really tested this Friday when table-topping Norwich come to the Liberty. Rovers return. Doncaster Rovers impressively won 1-0 at top of the table Lincoln at the weekend, largely thanks to not one but two penalty saves from Ellery Balcom. Donny lost centre midfielder Ben Whiteman to Preston earlier this month, who is arguably the best player in League One. However, in on-loan box-to-box Bryson midfielder Taylor Richards and left-back Rhys James, they still have two of the league's best players. Richards scored the winner at Lincoln, and Donny are now looking good for a return to the Championship for the first time since 2014, with them now three points off top with three games in hand. Barbarland Manchester City have signed exciting 18-year-old Rochdale winger Quadwo Barr, with Barr set to spend the rest of the season back on loan at Dale. Barr is German-born but eligible to play for England, so why have City made their move now? Turning 18 only last week, Barr is a dangerous winger who likes to take people on, and he has a venomous shot on him. 
He scored three and assisted two in 13 League One appearances so far this season. If you want a glimpse of what he can do, I suggest you watch the highlights from Rochdale's recent 4-4 draw at Charlton, where he scored two stunning goals. Five things in the EFL, five things in the EFL, five things. You definitely smashed it. And that's the new Five Things in the EFL jingle. Well, I'm glad I stayed away for that one because the jingle at the end was absolutely brilliant. So, uh, (laughs) better than the last jingle. That's quite brilliant. Yeah, thanks to uh, my brother there, Ben, for the jingles. More incoming, I hope. Moving on to the next feature then Match Spotlight. Today, Nick, we've got a double header. Explain yourself. Yeah, well, given that we are. Uh, Chelsea and Spurs fans, respectively, that we had to start with that. I mean, we have to start with that. It's coming up on, on Thursday. Um, but we like to review a match at the weekend um, as well. And obviously, there is a big uh, title favourites, probably clash of Liverpool against City. So, should we start with Spurs, Chelsea? Go for it, mate. Okay. I mean, for me, I, I predicted with my head this week on our, on our predictions. If anyone hasn't seen this uh, and doesn't follow our Twitter account, Myself and Tom are predicting the results and scorelines of every Premier League match uh, from now on to the end of the season. And Tom took a, um, a massive lead after the first round of fixtures on Saturday, but I caught up on Sunday and I predicted that um, Chelsea with my head, uh, sorry, with my heart mm. rather than my head. Um, and I'm, I'm going to do it again. I, I, I think that I mentioned a minute ago um, about Kane possibly coming back. I don't know. I'm not, I don't follow the Spurs news, but it could be a little Jose trick where he's, 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 the injury hasn't really the news about us hasn't really come out in full yet and could he come back? But I, I'm going to assume he is out and he's not playing. Mm. Um, uh, and and I do think the way that we've played under the two games, um, under Tuchel, keeping the ball a lot and nullifying the opposition. I mean, it's against Wolves and Burnley, but they didn't. neither of them had a shot on target um, in, in either game. So I think that's, that's relatively impressive considering they can be dangerous on the break, those two teams. Um, and I think the, that way we play, I think we will dominate the ball again and it's whether we can break you down. And then I think I think the game will probably mirror the, the Spurs Brighton game in that Spurs couldn't really get a foothold in the game, um, particularly first half didn't have hardly any well hardly any threatening possession I would say, um, and Brighton pretty much controlled large aspects of that game. So I, I I do think it will follow that pattern. I think it it was nil nil earlier on the season between us, and I think mm-hmm. it, uh, there's a risk of it being something similar. But I, I do think that we are dangerous enough at attack in, in the moment. To, to grab that goal and I think if we do if we grab that goal particularly if it's early I think uh, it will be a comfortable win for Chelsea Yeah I, I don't feel good about the tie um, from a Spurs perspective at all um, I think Kane's absence is huge as I alluded to earlier um, he kind of is the pr- primary creator for the team as well as uh, one of two top um, essential goal scorers for, for the team and without him we look lost um, as seen against Brighton I don't actually think we were that bad in the first half against Liverpool um, the sucker punch goal uh, I said that twice now haven't I the sucker punch goal um, at the end of the first half I think then caused the the riot you know described in the dressing room um, and yeah it's been it's been downhill ever since mm. I, I think you're right the Kane the creator 
is mm. is, uh, is certainly more of a missed and kind of goal scorer in my opinion. I mean, Son Son is always going to be dangerous on the break and making those runs, but if you can't find them or you've got no one to hold the ball up to give him the time to make that run, mm. it's, it's not going to happen. So uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think I think if he's not playing, I think Jose is going to have to pull some sort of masterclass. Um, like he's he is capable of it, but he will have to pull some sort of masterclass to to beat Chelsea. I think, and and I'm looking forward to seeing Hudson Odoi in a real big test uh, in this new position that Tuchel seems to found for him uh, as a right wing back. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that that'd be really really interesting to see, and and, um, and perhaps we'll speak about it later. But if he can carry us on playing the way he is playing in that position, he is playing. What does that mean for England? Does it mean he, he could sneak a, a spot on the plane? So. Um, yeah, yeah, if only we had a feature that could discuss, you know, the likelihood of players making the plane or not. Yeah, that's very true, isn't it? Very true. Mm. More, more about that yeah. later. Um, no, but on that, um, on who we hope um, plays and plays well, I, I looking at the Brighton team um, from a, a Spurs perspective, I hope uh, Vinicius starts. Um, he looked really bright when he came on, as bright as a Spurs player could be um, in that match. Um, Brighter than any of our attacking threats, I think. As I say, without Kane, um, who seems to tie up title together, I think Bergvine and even Son looks they look pretty toothless. Um, and I think Vinicius just adds a, a different dynamic up there, being a bigger guy. Doesn't obviously drop deep like Kane, but instead um, gives us gives us uh, that more direct approach. Yeah, which you we probably need at the moment because um, we're we're not stringing any passes together so um, anytime soon. So I think uh, yeah, Vinicius up there could um, be better suited to get out of this rut. Mm. It, it, sounds, it sounds simple, but when you're trying to play a counter-attack in football, you need someone who's going to hold the ball for that one or two extra seconds. Mm. You still want to play quickly, but you need time for players to get up the pitch and support the attack. And if you don't mm. have that player like that can provide that ability, if you don't have that player to do that, you won't you won't start counter attacks because Son is quick, but he's not that quick. He can't go from the edge of the box to the, their penalty area in, in two seconds. He's, you have to give the time to, for a player to get in behind and the other players to support. So um, that ability to hold the ball up, I think, will will be quite quite big in the in the game. And on the game, then, uh, what's your prediction? Um, I'm gonna go two 0 Chelsea. I don't see a scoring, if I'm honest. Um, probably one 0 Chelsea. How damning is that? I mean, I this is I don't even sound up myself. Uh, depressing, really, truly. Moving swiftly on, uh, yeah. Um, as I said, the match spotlight is a doubleheader this week, and our second game is Liverpool Man City. Hmm. Um, I think this is going to be a really interesting game because Liverpool have been obviously playing better recent games, Spurs and West Ham. I thought, um, funny enough, we've been talking quite a lot about Trent. Uh, and I thought in both games he really stood up and, and has been much, much brighter, much more like himself. Um, you saw the early ball that he played for for the um, Salah's second goal, mm. just things like that. And, and like I said, he was standing up, take, taking responsibility, taking accountability, and, and has really been the one sort of almost urging the Liverpool attacks forward at times. So I, I think he's been back to where he can, where he can be. Um, Man City. Last 19 games of all competition has conceded four goals. It's pretty mad, to be fair. Um, this will be a test for them because Liverpool lack that bit more of an open game, a bit more space in behind. And this will be the one game where they, they can have it if they can get hold of the ball enough. So, obviously, City's attack and, and uh, um, or attacking prowess against Liverpool's makeshift defence will be very interesting. But 
I think if, if Liverpool can can withstand that, I think they've got a really good chance, actually. You know, if, if Liverpool do win, it'll blow the title race wide open. Um, but it's a tough ask. What's your thoughts? Yeah, like you say, I think um, City are threatening to run away with it. Um, you know, people describe this, this season as a tight one, and yes, it is, but with the game in hand and uh, yeah, with as good as they've been in the last few weeks, uh, they, they look like the best side. Like I say, I think yeah, it's going to be, a, I'd hope it's going to be an entertaining game um, on the, on paper. I think we, I think they'll be caught out Liverpool personally um, because of their makeshift defence. I think they're going to struggle against an elite uh, forward line in City. I don't think they'll hold out. I think um, if they score, I think if, if I think if Liverpool score early, um, it would be. I think it would make for a really entertaining game. But I think City could run away with it if they if they come out the blocks. Yeah, I, th- I, I think I make you right. I think I would I would say City have got that ability to sort of just punish any team in about five or six minutes with a couple yeah. of goals. I mean, they did it against Chelsea uh, a few games ago um, when they won three one and got a late consolation. And and they scored their goals in, in such quick concession, uh, succession that they, they mm. just blew us away in, in about ten minutes, and and that's all it took. Like they were far better than us over the t- over the total ninety minutes, but there wasn't much else that they threatened with other than that ten minutes, and they just mm. completely killed it. And that was the game in ten minutes. So they've got the ability to do that, and obviously, like you said, with Liverpool's makeshift defence, that can happen. They could crack and sort of fall apart for ten minutes, and that's all it takes. So I do think City will have enough to beat them but I think it'll be interesting to see if Liverpool are really back yeah this would be the, the true test of that one mm. what's your prediction Nick you can go first this time <laughs> all right um, that's fine by me um I, I mean I'm, I kind of haven't thought about it um until yeah. now so this is interesting I think I think City will score first and I think they will run away with it um I think Liverpool I think Liverpool have got a goal in them I think I'm thinking Three one city. Mm. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go. I'm, yeah, oh god, that's that's a good choice. A good choice that is. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go uh, two nil city. All right then, and you can see those predictions uh, as part of uh, what we're calling the the Wembley Way weekly EPL predictions championship. It's not the catchiest name, um, but you can yeah follow that. Um, via Twitter, where we predict uh, the weekly games. Uh, okay, that's the match spotlight doubleheader. Moving on to England Youth Watch. You say youth, but today we're watching a 23-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, what's going on, Nick? So we're going to talk about Ben White. Um, and like you said, he is 23. So it's not really... Um, we're not going to get massive credit for being uh, sort of scouts and... Spotting him in the youth teams here, I think, is quite an obvious one, especially after Spurs played Brighton yesterday. But mm. um, I want to talk about him because for well, two seasons now, really, he's been playing a very high level. Um, and I guess it's in the context of will he make the plane? So this could sort of slope into our power rankings feature. But mm. um, he played 49 games for Leeds last season. Uh, he's played, he started 20 out of 21 games for Brighton this season in the Premier League. Um, at centre back, right? I mean, I know he can play. He's played right back. He's played defensive midfield, but primarily a centre back, right? But yeah, primarily centre back. He, he has played right back this season. Has played quite a lot actually in midfield uh, for, for Brighton this season as well. But mainly centre back mm-hmm. um, as part of their, their sort of three or five at the back formation. Um, he's a ball playing centre back. Very comfortable with the ball at his feet. Uh, very comfortable 
bringing the ball out the back uh, and pushing pushing the play further up the pitch. Mm. A little bit like Maguire can sort of dribble for, dribble through the opposition's midfield. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think people will criticise this and say, like, we just we just like him because of his style and he's the sort of the new fad type of thing. Um, Brian Brian have conceded quite a lot of goals this season. They haven't haven't exactly been that that sure at the back, but. What I think works in his favour, obviously, one, we talked about the versatility and we talked about that on the podcast before with England in that you only have a certain amount of selections. If, if you've got someone who can cover a defensive midfield or right back, um, that, that's great. He can play centre-back in, in a back four, he can play centre-back in, in, in either the centre or the right position in, in a back three. Um, he plays for a progressive team under Brighton in a Potter has them playing football. They play out from the back, they take risks on the ball. And I think that suits England. England have a lot of possession in all of their games, especially against the lesser teams. Mm-hmm. I think, like you can make arguments for like Ben Mee, Tarkovsky, people like that, but but really, those defenders are people defending in their box deep and heading things away, clearing things. They've got their fullback tucked right inside. They've got their defensive midfielder sat right on top of them, ultimate protection. A little bit like Dyer this year, really with Spurs as well. They're very, they're very, um, they're very secure. They're sort of yeah, they're, they're protected. I think is the right word. Whereas Brighton do play expensive football, so I, I think that that will suit his uh, his chances for England's base. England's base. I don't think he's I don't think he's nailed on to get a spot, or, or I think it'll be a risk to take him. But I think it, it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a, um, a shock to me if he did go. Um, and, I saw and so, some stuff. I'll oh, go on. Last you. I was going to say it wouldn't be a shock to me if he moves to to quite a big club in the summer. To be honest. Well, as I was saying, um, that's right. I think I saw in today. So today being Monday. The first of February, uh, him him being linked to the champions. Yeah, I can really see a move to Liverpool uh, happening there. I think I think Spurs would be a massive shout for him, but I'm not sure he's he's a Jose profile. Um, but I think next season, if it was to be a sort of a more progressive management, perhaps at Spurs, if mm-hmm. Jose were to go, I think that that'd be a, that'd be a really good fit for him. But yeah, yeah, Liverpool, uh, Liverpool shout's a good one. I can see him see him going there. And that's England Youth Watch. So on, on the uh, the England front, uh, we move on to power rankings. So this is where we judge the uh, England squad and the players within the pool, maybe just outside the squad, and see how they uh, progress throughout um, the EPL weeks, um, which players rise from the pool into the squad and on the plane, and what players fall away due to lack of form out of the squad and off the plane. Um, so we've got some questions today, actually, which are power rankings relevant. So we thought we'd uh, inject them to our power rankings feature, and here is our first one. So Steve Shane at Steve underscore Shane eleven asks: Any players you think might force themselves into the England squad for the Euros based on form this season that wouldn't have been in with a shout if it took place last summer? He says Saka, Justin Shaw, etc. have been very good, but will Southgate stick to players he already knows? Yeah, that's a pretty good question and a good shout because we know that we know that Southgate does have his favourites. So. Trippier, the Dyer, um, Henderson, Walker, people like that at, at times. So I think I think it'd be an interesting one to see if he moves away from that. Mm. Um, I, I mean, Sacco is a great shout. I, I, we talked about him last week. I really like him. Mm-hmm. I think he, I think he's bang on about versatility again. But I think he he can play that left wing back role if we play if we play that in that shape. Um, but also provide a, an attacking threat further up the pitch as well if if we want to play him on the wing. So I think I think he's he's actually got a very good chance if he continues playing the way he he is for Arsenal, and like Steve asked, definitely wouldn't have had a shout last season. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I think I think that's one. James Justin again, 
he can play both sides of that defence in a back four and a back five. So extremely useful. He's really impressed me actually. His maturity and uh, tactical discipline in, in Leicester's system. So I think I think again, if if Southgate wants to wants to reduce the amount of defenders he's taking because to maximise the numbers in attack, because we do have so many good attacking options, then James Justin is certainly one to look at because he can play both sides. Um, uh, yeah. Well, Kieran Gow uh, at Kieran G A eight um asks. Bamford for the Euros could utilise his ability to be a real number nine and uh, can't off him as he likes to come deep, said um, said the actress to the bishop. I've copy and pasted that on, right? And I've, I haven't read that bit before. Oh, but staying in. Yeah. yeah. So what are you thinking? Um, yeah, I mean, former Chelsea's, so I have a little, little um, soft spot for Bamford. I really like him. I, I think that... Um, so... England squad, let's wrap in too long on this. We've got 20 outfield spots, right? Mm. We're going to pick a minimum of eight defenders. Um, we picked nine, and po- arguably 10, including Dyer, like, uh, in the World Cup 2018. So let's say minimum eight. Mm-hmm. That leaves us with uh, 12 outfield players. We're going to have four central midfielders, I'd expect. Uh, so that, that leaves us with, what am I doing here? Maths. Christ. You're supposed to be good at maths, Nick. That's your thing. I know. It's really bad, isn't it? So 12. I've lost the plot. So I actually, let me, uh, I'll do like an, no, that, that, that leaves us instruction. I'll go on. It leaves us eight, eight, eight spots for our attacking, attacking players and strikers. All right. So I don't think we're going to take three out and out strikers. Uh, and by that, I don't, I don't think we're going to take three of Kane, Calvert-Lewin, Ings, Tammy Abraham, Bamford. I don't think three of those are going. Mm. I think, I think two of those are going plus Rashford who can play out front and can play out wide. Um, so it's a shame. I like Bamford. Eleven goals, four assists in twenty games. Now he yeah. misses chances, um, but he's a thinking man's player, isn't he? he I, I feel like he maximises his impact with the ability he has. Do you know what I mean? Hundred percent. I, I do agree with that. I, I, my only hesitation is that you said you said it yourself. He misses chances, and I think he does. So it's like it, quite an essential piece of the puzzle, isn't it? Well, we, <laughs> he Kane's doesn't gonna, score, but he thinks a lot. Yeah, but he works hard. <laughs> Kane's going to play, and they're going to play ninety minutes in most games that we want him to or need him to, right? So that means that when the other striker is there only to come on to make an impact uh, in games that, that where we need a goal mm. or to play dead rubbers. Um, so so for me, you need someone who is clinical, a poacher, and, he's, and gets in the box on the end of things. So mm. for me, for me, I think, I think it's Calvert-Lewin. Um, he, he's so good at that, that first time. He's so, he's so sticky, Calvert-Lewin, isn't it? Yeah. Unbelievable. I, you yeah. pump the ball up to him. Even on the, even uh, with the ball at his feet, he's uh, yeah incredibly sticky, very reliable on the ball. It's impressed yeah. me massively. Uh, coming on leaps and bounds in, from previous seasons. Yeah, I, I think he's the closest thing we've got to Kane in terms of that. I agree. And I think I think he's the I think he's the probably the best um, person in the box or fox in the box instinctive finish, finisher that we have that we can, at, that outside we need. Kane. Yeah, we would need uh, <laughs> we need to make an impact in the game if we're chasing a goal. So I, I think I think it'll be Kane, Calvert Lewin, and then Rashford as the other striker. So. I'm fair on Bamford, but um, I'm not sure he'll make it. Well, you, you mentioned um, numbers um, of players we allocate to certain roles in the team. Uh, Josh Gray at Joshua Gray zero uh, one asks any chance of dropping a defensive spot on the power rankings and adding another attacking spot. Feels like we have too many attacking talents to waste a seat on the plane to a defensive player. What are your thoughts yeah. on that? I completely agree. Um, I, I, I'm personally 100. Um, percent I would even toy with the idea of taking seven defenders, but that's just me probably um, being wishful. Mm. Um, we, t- we did take nine defenders to the World Cup. 
Exactly. And arguably, 10. I think this is why this is why the current power rankings on our website, uh, the Wembley are set up as they are because I was mimicking what we did in um, in the World Cup. In the World Cup, yeah, and I think you can even argue it's ten if you counted Dyer at the time of the defender. So yep. it, it's um, that that's the only worry. I, I think we have to take eight purely because we've got so many good attackers. Um, we're having a debate with a lot of people recently about. Everyone keeps saying, oh, Madison would definitely be in my squad. Mountain would definitely be in my squad. Grealish should be in mine. We can't take them all. Mm. We cannot. We physically can't. Don't have room for them all. Um, so I think I think dropping down to eight defenders is a good idea. Uh, I agree with that. And I think we should do it. We should implement it, Tom. Do it. Okay. So I'll do it tonight. And when you hear this uh, podcast, our power rankings will be updated. Uh, also with the um, latest movers and shakers in our power rankings as well. So you can see who and who has not made the plane in uh, the week starting the 1st of February. Alrighty, moving on to our last feature of the uh, the episode, it's listeners' questions. Um, as always, we reach out to our listeners on Twitter, um, usually on, on the Sunday night. So if you missed out this time, make sure you get in there next week. Um, our first question is by Benjamin Crawley, at Benjamin Crawley, great at, as we always say. He asks, what's your definition of a world-class player and who is world-class in the Premier League? Have you thought about that one, Nick? Um, a little bit. Uh, I, that's an interesting question. I think the, the world class gets banded around too much, uh, as you probably expect me to say. I think world class is the ability to impact games um, uh, on the on the on the biggest stage mm. um, consistently. So you don't want to doing it once, like maybe Wilshere did against Barcelona, mm. things like that. I think I think you have to do it over over a number of years. Um, on on the very highest stage, which can be unfair because you have a world class player playing at a club who's not doesn't get to those stages. But I think that's the only, only way you're going to test them is by playing them at the highest highest level. So to get to the, the crux of the question, I think I think Kevin De Bruyne for Liverpool. Mm. Um, I think you could argue it hasn't been enough of the biggest stages, but I think I think you Kane's got to be up there. That's weird because um, I I don't think it's necessarily something you have to explicitly prove but rather it's an agreement um because otherwise it's problematic it's problematic logistically um you know for example i think for me world class means um or at least in my opinion it should mean uh the player possesses an ability to excel in games in any of the top leagues in the world it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, all the major competitions uh sorry it doesn't have to have done it in the major competitions or played uh, in all the top leagues and excelled in order to prove that he's world class but rather um, it's, it, when it's clear that the player has the talent to rip it up in the other top divisions, uh, that it's safe to say, collectively agreed, um, that they are world class. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. We look at someone like Messi. We, he, hasn't, he hasn't done it in every league and he hasn't done it uh, every stage. Maybe some could argue international stage, things like that. But we know he's world class, obviously. Um, so, yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I, and I, I do agree, you don't have to... If, if you haven't done it at the, in the Champions League final, you haven't done it in a certain game, it doesn't necessarily mean much. I think it just means in on, on the biggest occasions that player rises uh, and mm. shows shows what they're about. And I think I think De Bruyne, Kane, uh, at the moment are probably the two that stand out for me in the Premier League. I'm not going to disagree with that. All right then. Um, so that question was to both of us. This one is for you, Nicky. Um, Michael Calvary. What, Nicky? I call you Nicky, it's all right, Okay. So, a new podcast thing, then, is it? I've definitely called you Nicky before, haven't I? <laughs> we'll roll with that. Okay. Um, Michael Calvary at M underscore Calvary um, asks, Basuma has impressed every time I've watched him this season. 
Will we get a big PL move in the summer? And if so, where do you think he'll thrive? Yeah, I like Basuma. I think he's a very good player. He's quite astute defensively, but very good on the ball. Um, drives the play forward. I think I think he will get a move. And I've, I noticed today that um, Brighton have signed. Uh, I'm not going to get the pronunciation right again, but Caicedes maybe. Give um, it another go, go on. Caicedes maybe. A little bit of um, accent in there as well, wasn't it? Yeah, why not? Um, <laughs> yeah, they've just signed him, and I think he, uh, he's quite a similar player actually um, in midfield. Of again, good defensively, but can drive forward with the ball. So I think that them signing him might mean that Basuma could be off in the summer potentially. Um, I think of the current Premier League teams, I think mm-hmm. he would suit Chelsea, Spurs, Leicester, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he's a Liverpool type. I think Man City, again, maybe not that type. But I think, yeah, I think Chelsea, Spurs, Leicester are the top teams. Definitely find a place in, in the midfields there. Um, so no surprise if he goes um, to a top team. We, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes abroad, to be honest, to a, to a, to a sort of better team than Brighton. But of, of, the, of the PL teams, those are the three that I think he, he could go to. Mm. Don't disagree with that. I think you've got a question for me, haven't you? Yeah, this one is uh, from Christopher Irvin at Christopher underscore A underscore I. With the rapid rate technology is developing, at could you give us three predictions, however mad you think you think the game and fan experience could look in the year two thousand and forty? It's a great question. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, yeah, I love it. Uh, I've got three predictions. So, uh, the first one. Here, uh, bear with me. Um, so yeah, prediction one. Augmented reality-powered projection mapping away games onto sold-out home stadiums. What does that Meaning, mean? Let me explain. Meaning you could go to your home stadium and watch an away game thanks to the match being essentially hologrammed to scale onto the, the home stadium turf. Um, an example of this happening recently was a concert performed via hologram by the late, great Michael Jackson. Um, they even invented a new dance routine. It was really weird. Right? Forget that bit football related right yeah effectively just projection mapping um a hologram of an away an away game onto onto the pitch of a home stadium uh meaning uh you can have two sets of fans in there you can have the fans attending the away game and the fans attending the home uh, the home game bad idea <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah I, th- I think having lots of people in one place to watch away games so they don't have to travel as far yeah. Um, where it looks live, yeah. It'd also be mad, wouldn't it? With that. You've got to think, right, 2040, yeah? Um, we're going to have probably a world club league by then, you know, if um, these oligarchs have their way. And so these matches could be played all around the, all around the globe. And so projection mapping it on, on, you know, in North London for us Spurs fans, for example, would, would be hugely um, appealing, wouldn't it? Um, maybe Maybe... The idea of home games is lost, and in, in fact, they play in a centralised location, um, like, for example, the NBA have been doing during the COVID uh, pandemic, um, and then it's projection mapped to all the home stadiums around the country. That's a quite a dystopian uh, mm. uh, uh, vision, but one that could happen. I think there's one issue with that, Go and that's, that's assuming the Spurs are going to make the Super League. <laughs> I like, well, Levy's always got his like finger. You know, in that pie, you know, he's, he's, he doesn't want to be left out. You're not leaving. Yeah, he's not really like banging on the door, ringing the doorbell, isn't he, constantly? But oh, yes. Oh, uh, yes. Try, yeah. Prediction two, then. Um, VAR enabled full body lycra football kits. So, no more blurry camera frames or thick ass pixelated lines being used to prove on, on or offside. Um, instead, the entire match will be captured virtually. Um, so, from a, an, offici- an officiating point of view, I mean. Um, which would be so precise that nothing 
would be left for subjectivity. Imagine, right? So they're wearing this full body Lycra football kit. Even if just a fibre of the Lycra football kit is in an offside position, the ruling would be clear. Yeah? What do you think about that one? Yeah, I, I, I get, I'm on board with that. Um, so brilliant. Watch, watching the Ings, Ings goal, or disallowed goal against Aston Villa the other night, it was like everyone's arguing over the, the arm and where the line is drawn. Mm. Did you see the ball when they froze it? Mate, don't. It's about a metre long. Like what? Um, um, with Sun's offsides, I mean, I know obviously I'm going to bring it up, of course, but when Sun's, our, our first goal, which never was against Liverpool, yeah. the, 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 yes, like you say, when Inabele strikes the ball, the frame by which oh, they, you know, they stop uh, the, the footage, the ball's like an oblong. So yeah. it's like, okay, so when, if that foot, if we man, they bring that footage back just a, 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 a tad, um, maybe still connecting with the ball, so it's still a legitimate frame to end it on. Um, Sun potentially is on the side. It says no um, precision. We're trying to fly to the moon in like Fred Flintstone's car. Yeah, interesting point. Although I would say on your idea, you still have to find that moment of when the ball's kicked. So that's that's a challenge, isn't it, for the future? Nick, hello, Vi enabled football boots. <laughs> okay. Sure. Why not? I mean, you can't, you can't let me have lycra football boots <laughs> <laughs> and not fire enabled football boots. The, uh, ball, the, boot, the ball's the, plugged the up as well. The boot's too far, Tom. The boot's is a step too far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, not having the boot. Yeah. <laughs> too far, if you like. Cheers. Mate, it solves it. I'm telling you. All right, look, prediction three. This one's Probably, not yeah. technological, okay? But instead, it's like a, a development that could happen in football. But hear me out, as I said. So, football teams will evolve beyond managers to become autonomous collectives. <laughs> let, me, let me explain. This is quite like high concept stuff for the Wembley way, is what I'm going to say. <laughs> so managers are getting younger, right? For example, Leipzig's uh, Nagelsmann, is that what you're saying his name? Uh, Nagelsmann. Nagelsmann, Nagelsmann yeah. yeah. Uh, he's only 33, right? He got the job a couple of years back. Yeah. yeah, crazy young. So by 2040, managers would have got so young, they're thinking so intertwined with the playing staff, that their responsibilities will eventually be absorbed by the first team. Yeah. So, so effectively, they're all the manager, every single one of them. Mm. Don't think rudderless. Yeah. But think one big rudder steering clubs into the hell of the egotistical prima donna land. Okay. <laughs> sure. I, thought, I thought when you first said that, you're going to go with like, um, there's not going to be a manager anymore because clubs are, clubs are falling for like the fan base participate participation so much that, that like Twitter polls are going to control the team in the formation and things like that. Nick, that's a, far, that's a far more reasonable prediction. <laughs> Basically, like Chelsea when they won the Champions League on the team toe, because he, he didn't really manage us. The players yeah. managed themselves. So I, I, get, I get what you're saying. I think that, that yeah, it's, it's realistic. It could happen. I think there's always going to be... There'll be a proof of concept somewhere, which then they're like, oh, shit, this could work. Like, this, it, it, worked, it worked somewhere in, like, the MLS. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And suddenly yeah. it's like, oh, they adopt... Brentford adopt it in the UK because yeah, they're quite yeah. forward-thinking, aren't they, with their yeah. youth set up, you know? And yeah. so yeah, then suddenly it kind of, that concept arrives. I don't know. Look, 2040, we've got a few years yet. Yeah? I didn't say it was going to be pretty. It's interesting, man. I think there's always going to be a full guy, though, right, for the owners. So they're going, to want, they're still going to want their full guy. So, yeah, that is true. Yeah. Interesting concept, though. Good discussion. Yeah, I thought that was a great question, that one, Chrissy. Mm. All right, then. Uh, question for Nick. Uh, Jack at the Tricky Reds, a Liverpool fan and on mitts. Um, so he asks, give their, uh, is it, giving their current defensive injuries in particular, um, do you consider Liverpool to be over or under achieving? 
I think I think they're about where they should be, um, and that's going to sound like a really boring answer. I, th- I think they've they've coped as I thought they would with the defensive indis- injuries. Mm. In in that, obviously Van Dyke is world class, and they're missing Joe Gomez and, and Matip at times as well. What I would say is Liverpool's style of football of anyone in the Premier League is probably more suited to actually not having centre backs because they 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 swallow the opposition so much they they just swarm them. Mm. And uh, I'd, I'd like, be interested to see the stats actually, but I, I would say that teams have probably have less less possession or, or less chances on goal than any other team in the Premier League against Liverpool, just just because of that ability when they do have their full team out, uh, sorry, their, their full rest of the team out, mm. their defence to, to just swarm teams and and and, um, and swallow their capacity to to get the ball high up the pitch and keep the ball high up the pitch. I think what's probably more damaging, and we've said this before, to Liverpool's. Um, team at the moment is not actually losing the centre backs. I think it's losing Fabinho and Henderson out of the midfield because they are yeah. a massive part of that swarming the other team. Mm. So I think that that's probably what's hit them the most. Um, I mean, what I would say is I don't feel too sorry for them. I know I know they have under, other injuries around the team, and at times Robertson and Trent were out earlier in the season as well. But but Liverpool really they've had they've got three senior centre backs and they've all got injured, which would be very unlucky. But if you look at most teams in the Premier League, especially at the top, they have way more than three senior centre-backs who they trust. Mm. I mean, even, even Chelsea, you wouldn't say they've got the best squad, but, but before, before letting Tamori alone, had five. Man City, you got Diaz, Stones, Laporte, Ake. That's, that's four straight away. Spurs, you've got Rodon, Sanchez, Adeverald, uh, Dyer, four in there straight away. Mm-hmm. Even Leicester, they've got Soyuncu, Fafana, Evans, Wes Morgan. There's four, four senior centre-backs. So, I think at all times, even if you had three injured, you should have one. So they've let Lovren go in the summer. He's a yeah, he's not everyone's cup of tea, but he's played in the biggest games for Liverpool. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's a little bit silly on their part to only have three um, first team or senior centre backs. But they have, nonetheless, they have coped very well without, without the three main centre backs they've got. And and um, and to be in the top four is, is decent. I think they're still in a title race, and, mm-hmm. I, and I would have expected them to be, um, but. It shouldn't be shouldn't be poo pooed. No, I think I agree with that. Uh, and I have a question for you, don't I? Mm, uh, so this is again. Oh, we're back to Benjamin Crawley at Benjamin Crawley. Great at again. Uh, this is for you. So it's come kind of a uh, the catchphrase that one, isn't it? Yeah. So now Ozil has left Arsenal. Is Bale the most overpaid player in the Premier League? What's gone wrong? What's gone wrong? I mean, yes, he's probably overpaid. Um, so the situation is we... Is Spurs... he the most overpaid? I get, I'm getting there. Uh, I think... Um, so we pay... Spurs pay 40% of Bale's 600k per week contract with Real Madrid. So we pay about 240k. So it's quite a lot. Um, it's, just, I think it's still in the top 10 of the Prem. Um, and yes, certainly, yes, he's overpaid. He, um, what's gone wrong... He's still technically extremely gifted. When the ball when he receives the ball in tight situations, he's still one of the best players in the park. Um, he's just lost all explosive um, physicality, um, his pace. But yeah, he's, he's, he seems to have lost that, um, I guess, that ability which comes of age. He, yeah, he does show it in bursts um, against, I say, he showed it against Wickham. I mean, <laughs> as, as I was saying that, I didn't even believe it. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, he beat that one man against Wickham. Um, <laughs> what was but, it, no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, but... <laughs> yeah, I, I think he's... Uh, 
yeah, he's probably he's, he's certainly past his best, and I think I think we'll be lucky to get a lot more out of him. I mean, he's he's the only player in the Spurs squad to have scored in every single competition. He's not completely devoid of uh, productivity, but yeah, in terms of like a a, a threat, um, like a pacey threat as it, like he was, yeah, there's not much of that player left, unfortunately. Um, in terms of other overpaid players in the PL, well, I've done my research. Okay, so Martial. 250k per week, paid more than Kane. Yeah. Uh, second highest paid attacker, only two, Abamyang. This is my top trump. 375k per week, the highest paid striker, with only five goals this season, and that's 20, uh, 24th in the EPL top scorers leaderboard. So, like, I'm not sure Abamyang's doing too much better than Bao. He's paid more. Well, from a Spurs perspective, he's paid more, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, he's, he's probably Bale probably still is the worst, um, considering he's actually on six hundred k. But yeah, there's there's a few up there um, in contention as well. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll take your I'll take your Bale, Marshall, and your Bamyang, and I'll raise you a Kepa. Um, he's I don't know the figures, but I think he's on at least two hundred thousand pounds a week. If I'm honest, uh, these figures come from like a, a dodgy web. Yeah, we, so we I might have got these wrong. We can't rely on these, can we? No. Um, but but he's on a lot of money, and yeah. for someone who appears to have no arms, uh, he, <laughs> he, he, he's not deserving of that money. Um, but the the fee alone on the, the was it twenty percent or ten percent you get when you uh, when you fulfil a transfer, that alone. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, it's not really fair, is it? But but. Yeah, I think Bow is the most overpaid if you're if you're looking at the six hundred grand. That's madness. Yeah, man. All right, last few questions then. Um, so one uh, true Joe at one true Joe two, uh, he asks favorite moment you have seen live and favorite player of all time. So uh, let's both answer, answer this one. Um, so my favorite Spurs moment I've seen live is Kane's goal against Arsenal in February two thousand sixteen. If you if you remember, he was wearing a mask and ripped it off in celebration. After that moment, uh, I think we topped the live table. So in February, that's like a big deal to a Spurs fan. Uh, I sit behind that goal um, at the old White Lane. And yeah, I ended up the celebration in another row completely. It's insane. Uh, my favourite player of all time, if, if I'm honest, David Beckham is a hero when I was growing up. I got his signature, lucky enough, in Germany before the Trinidad game in 2006. I was fortunate to go to the World Cup. And yeah, I got his signature. I actually threw my English shirt over the railings. And it landed on his head. Um, I was over the moon when he signed it. He then gave the shirt to Carragher to sign. So I was livid. Uh, so I've, I've now got this shirt right with Beckham and Carragher. It's not right, is it? <laughs> Absolutely ruined the value of that one, didn't it? Do you know what I mean? I was livid. So uh, I've still got it in a drawer. Uh, but yeah, that's my one. What about you, Nick? Um, so favourite live moment. I've got I've got two, sorry. Um, it's either between... So I'm not, I'm not a season ticket holder, so I haven't seen every moment of Chelsea uh, like you with Spurs, but... Um, Oscar's goal against Juventus in the Champions League. Yes. Where it was sort of that Cruyffy mental turn. I think all... you picked me up from the airport after that game. I did, yeah, you're right, actually, good memory. Yeah. Um, yeah, sort of, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just outrageous. Uh, it was his debut, I think, as well. Um, and uh, we're just thinking, what is his player? Who have we got? Yeah. Um, and now he's in China. Yeah. So he wants <laughs> to come back to Chelsea. Like, you're good luck, mate. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that was outrageous. The Cruyff and then the finish. Uh, against Perlo and Buffon as well as Matt. Yeah. Um but then the other one um was last season actually I went to the Chelsea Ajax game the Champions League it was four all we were four 0 down. Um and Reese James scored our equalizer um to make it four all and sort of ran towards this, the sort of corner we were in and, and that was great. Just seeing Reese James, Tamori 
uh, mount yeah. the door. Like there's a picture, in, isn't there, of all together? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that, that that was a. I mean, me and my cousin Max were at that, and we were just thinking, we were just, like, what is going on in this game? That that two players sent off at the same moment. It was just crazy game, and then that, mm. that equaliser was great. It's a shame we didn't sort of go on to win it, I guess. But mm-hmm. uh, that was yeah, it was a good moment. So that's that's those. Um, for me. <sighs> Favourite player of all time? I, th- I think I'm going to have to go with Lampard, but with Zola as a very close second. Zola was just lit up uh, my world when I was a youngster, but Lampard, yeah. for everything he's done for Chelsea, is, is, uh, he, he pips it for me. Yeah, I think uh, Ginola. Uh, mm. You know, mm. Shout out to Ginola. I mean, ignored as part of my answer, but uh, certainly yeah. deserves a mention. Yeah. All righty, so last question. Um, this is for both of us. Scott Duggins at Duggs underscore zero six asks, uh, been a lot of agreement between you both so far. So let's hear a debate on your combined Spurs Chelsea best eleven. Oh, you have to go quick, aren't we, for time? Um, when he says best eleven, does he mean like the current squad? I think so. Yeah, I, I think all time best is, is a bit much, isn't it? This, this is your your eleven right now based on the current team. So at the moment, it's obviously it's Mendy, um, Kepa, Lloris, Hart, Gazaniga, probably Lloris. Yeah, Mendy so... looks bright, but it's early days. Yeah, he's a bit, he rushes out and sort of gets in no man's land. It's a bit, a bit odd at times. But then Lloris is ageing. He doesn't rush out as much as he used to. He's still a great shot stopper, though. Yeah, I think I think Lloris still. Although he didn't cover himself in glory against Liverpool. But yeah, no. I, I still think Lloris is well, gone the World Cup. Christ. Exactly that. Um, although he did try and dribble it out of defence in the World Cup, lose the ball and concede a goal. Indeed. Um, oh, what formation are we playing? Are we having three at the back, four at the back? I, th- I think go four. Yeah. Although we have both played three at the back well, with the... The two wing the wing yeah, backs to make five games. in the last game. Yeah, I think we go four because it makes for a better debate. Okay, so um, right backs. So, I mean, it's not Callum Hudson and Doy, even though he played right wing back in the last game. <laughs> <laughs> so, who's your what? So, Reese James. Yeah, SP as well. I think, I think I think both of them are ahead of any of your right backs actually. Um, Serge I'm, or um, Doherty. Yeah, I mean, I, I think. Um, for promise and what he's what he's been doing this season, I think you're going to say James. But as P has been unreal servant, and he's still one of the best pressers uh, I've seen as a right as a fullback um, in the Premier League. I think he's he's awesome at that. So if if you had to play four at the back, you're playing Aspi Quetta over James. No, James I said. Oh, sorry, I thought you made the point that Aspi starts over James. No, sorry, I made that clear. James because of what he's been doing this season and the promise yeah. he's going to show. But I think if you're going to like who's been the better right back, yeah. Aspie. Yeah, I'll give you that. I think James is over Oreo um, as well. So, um, and Doherty's struggling at the moment, so I don't think he's in the conversation yeah. for the right-back slot. Okay, centre-backs. So you've obviously got Silva, Rudiger. Um, who, who, am I, who am I forgetting? Zuma, Christensen. Zuma, Christensen. I've, we've, obviously, we're at Dyer, uh, the young Rodon, um, Toby, Tanganga, Sanchez. Yeah. Um, I think Toby... He's having an on-off season, but when he mm. plays well, and he has played well this season at times, he's still a great, great player. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll think Toby has to be in there. Yeah, I think I think I'll put him in there, given how he's played at that high level for quite some time, and like I said, he's been a little bit on-off this season, but he's definitely played at that high level for, for many years now. How's Silver been for you then? Um, actually, after last week's episode, I I regretted not giving him a shout out in signing the season. It's ah. got a little bit unnoticed because we sort of haven't been as good this this season as, as expected. But he's been unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Every time I watch him, I just think this guy's this guy's on another planet with the rest of our defenders. He's, yeah, he's, I mean we, we've been watching Zuma, Rudiger, Aspilicueta, Christensen. Sorry, not Aspilicueta, yeah. playing at the back and sort of changing positions over the last year and a half. And, and Silver comes in straight away and just 
literally is streets ahead of all of them. So um, I would have him in 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 the combined team. All right then, let's move it along because I, I do. I'm conscious that like there are other fans of other uh, clubs listening to this, thinking, do I care that much? I mean, I'm interested, but like, do I need it explained fair. in thorough detail? <laughs> so turn off, then. yeah, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. No, don't don't turn it off. Don't turn it off. No. Please. Please. Um, Silver Toby at the back. Yeah. Left back. What are we saying? Oh, it's a difficult one because because I, I know you're gonna you're gonna um, praise Regadon, who's obviously just just signed. Um, Chilwell for Chelsea, I wouldn't say has been the best, but I think if you look at what Chilwell can do over the next sort of ten years for Chelsea, I think he will become a very very good left back. Um, but I do think Regadon has been made a very good start to his, his career at Spurs. I think um, Regadon's got a bigger ceiling. I think he could be uh, he could be a top top player he's got pretty much everything um lightning uh speed um ridiculously good technique um obviously not the strongest but um i do think his ceiling's incredibly high um yeah i think I, I... maybe premier league minutes um regulon's still um new to the to the to the epl maybe maybe chilwell um starts in a combined 11 tomorrow yeah, oh, but Reguilón is so good. I can't yeah. stress enough how good he is. So that'd yeah. be very harsh, still. Yeah, it would be. We've got I to make a decision. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to um, go with you here. I think that from what they've done this season in the respective shirts, I think mm-hmm. you go Reguilón. I think we know Chua for what he can do and what he probably mm-hmm. will be, and I think he will be a very good right back in the Premier League for the next ten years. But um, Reguilón has shown very good promise. So let's go, let's go with him. Okay. Um, do we do three midfield and three up front? Yeah. Okay. All right then. So obviously you've got uh, an abundance of talent in that area: Jorginho, Kovacic, Kante, yeah. uh, uh, Mount, oh. in, in, if he is in deep in that midfield three, and Spurs obviously Hoybier, Ndombele, um, Winks. Um, I'm just I'm just thinking aloud now. Who else? Who else are we getting? Lamella can sit Sissoko. in there. Sissoko. Sissoko, yeah, he kind of plays right back as well sometimes, <laughs> which is a bit weird. Um, plays right wing like he did against uh, Fulham at home. Yeah. Um, I would say Ndombele's in there for sure. Um, I think Kante could probably fulfil Hoybier's role. If but if if Kante's even in your first eleven, I mean, what what are your uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go against all my principles here. And, oh my god. Um, and and play Kante in a lone defensive midfielder role because I hate mm. people who say that and I, I don't hate the people I hate the idea of that because I don't <laughs> think he's that um, I think he he comes out and presses and leaves a gap um, yeah he has done this season but um, yeah okay I'm I'm going to play three midfield and it's going to be Kante and Mbappe and Mount um, uh, so I'll probably have for the sake of saving Kante I'll have Mbappe and, and Kante sitting sort of together uh, in a double pivot with Mount just ahead of him I guess. Um, but yeah, that, that's my three in midfield. Yeah, I, think, I think I think Kovacic has got all the abilities to be a top, 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 top player. Mm-hmm. I just think he doesn't do enough. He doesn't pass the ball forward enough. He doesn't doesn't move it quick enough. He doesn't have an, much an end product in terms of that final pass, that final shot. He reminds me a little bit of um, Dembele. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for Spurs, he's like got all the, all the ability in the world. You watch him play, and, and he passes the eye test, but he's not effective. I would suggest that Dembele was really good in transition, um, but he didn't get numbers. That's valuable, though. That's still valuable. I mean, you don't get numbers, but, yeah, but it's not it, all yeah, about it's, numbers. Well, it's only it's only well and good like, if, you, if you can beat a press and, and drive forward, but then you, mm-hmm. but then your next pass is to the left back or the right back. There's no point in beating that press. No, you I have to beat that. the press and be able to do something beyond that. I think in that's the latter, Dembele was a weird one. In the latter seasons, latter years of his Spurs career, 
was playing his best football and he wasn't just yeah. playing. I mean, I think the criticism of him playing side to side was a, a criticism he received in the earlier stages of his career. Um, mm. And I think in the latter stages, you know, uh, when we were pushing Champions League, um, I remember he played unbelievably uh, away at Juventus and that was, you know, it was a, a, an alien performance mm. um, a few times at home to Liverpool as well. Players would just chuck him the ball and expect him to, for it to stick, yeah, him to spin and then get it away. Um, yeah. he, he was playing that well. But I think um, Lo Celso could be in there with Mount, but I think because Lo is injured, I'm not even going to have that conversation, so I allow that. So we're going to go with Ndombele, sorry, yeah. Kante with Ndombele and then Mount. Oh, yeah, that, that, there's no chance Lo Celso's getting in mine. <laughs> well, I've let that fly. He's injured, though. I think if he, when he's playing at his best, he's, uh, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a good player. I think he, oh, I he makes our starting eleven at Spurs. Yeah. And, yeah, I think yeah, uh, that's a good player. I just think Mount's yeah. much better. Maybe, maybe, maybe uh, another conversation there for another yeah, day. I think maybe uh, um, Mount question mark will be a, a name of a feature in future episodes. Okay, because I think right, I have so some opinions to, about that. We're on to top three then, right? So I yeah, think Kane's a given as a striker. Yeah, um, I think you've got to have Son in there as well. Um, world class. Uh, is he world class? What's your definition of world class? Though? Well, I told you earlier, just scrub the episode back a few uh, minutes, say a few minutes, probably about an hour ago now, yeah. uh, where I explained I think he is that uh, talented um, and he's proven it this year with his crazy shot conversion numbers. So I think you can't have not have Son and Kane when they're putting the numbers up this season. No, I, I agree. I don't think there's anyone else in Spurs' attack who you put in there, obviously. To Gareth Bale has to play. That's it, killed him. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, what he has done, you've got to think of that. Well, no, we've got to play him because he's getting paid too much. You're not, you don't get it. Yeah. Well, you're, you're the owner. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right, yeah. So, on the right, um, I think... So, Pulisic last season was very good for Chelsea and he ended this season so well. And then he did his hamstring and he hasn't come back quite the same yet. I'm sure he'll get there again. I think I think he will be a top-top player. Mm-hmm. Um, his dribbling ability is very good. Uh, I think... In terms of what he can achieve in the game, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to go Hudson Odoi, just because I think he's so powerful running at fullbacks. People underestimate it because he's so quick and so because he can beat a man. Mm-hmm. People underestimate how he keeps the ball, how, how he always makes the right pass. He has a vision of, of what's ahead of him in the game and what's the left and right of him in the game. Some some wingers who are quick and like that, they just sort of head down and run, don't see other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I'm going to go with him in terms of what he can do. A shout to Ziyech as well. He's, he started his career quite well at Chelsea and then had injury problems. But him and Pulisic haven't done enough yet. Uh, and I, yeah, I think I think Hudson-Odoi has got, like you said before, the biggest ceiling out of all of them. I think I think he can be a top top uh, player for Chelsea. Playing there was advocate though. This match, this combined match, I don't know. We're playing like. The Manchester eleven or something tomorrow. Yeah. Does H- forget Hudson Odoi's a ceiling. Does he start tomorrow? Uh, he'd be the first winger for Chelsea on my team sheet tomorrow. Already. Um, but that might be more of a form thing rather than rather than like a, a if if everyone's at their match fitness and top form, it might be a little bit different. But I think yeah, I, th- I think he'd be my first name. So I'm going to go with Hudson Odoi. Do you think? Um, I mean, I could argue that Bergvine's actually having a good season. If he scores away at Anfield in that one-on-one, I think people are raving about him. It's very fine margins with Bergvine. I think he's been very good. Very, um, um, he's, he's, been, uh, he's been putting a great shift in on that, uh, that right side, often doing a lot of defensive work, a lot of uh, thankless tasks on that, on that right wing. Um, has he been that much worse than Hudson-Odoi, Bergvine? I think, uh, are, are you just putting a charity Chelsea player up there because uh, you feel like you have to? 
<laughs> um, no, I think Berg Ryan isn't a bad player. I think he's good and he does a, he does a very good job. I just I don't think this Spurs Chelsea eleven mm-hmm. um, needs that job because I don't think they're going to play as negatively as Spurs are. Oh, and on that bombshell. <laughs> All right, then we'll leave it there. There you go. Hope that um, whetted your appetite, Scott, with your uh, Spurs Chelsea combined eleven. And that concludes series one, episode three of the Wembley Way podcast. That was a really long one this time. Yeah, a little bit too long. What do you think, guys? I don't know. Tell us. Is it, is it boring when you want to give us a 20-minute mark? Do we need to keep it down? Don't ask him if it's boring. Well. At least don't word it like that. Just say, like, would you like it slightly shorter? Because it's brilliant, but, like, you've got things to do in the day. Oh, OK, hold on. Would you like it slightly shorter? Do you have things to do in the day? Let us know uh, at, at the Wembley Way on Twitter. Or podcast at thewembleyway.com over email. Mm. Yeah, do that, actually, because it might be a bit more um, discreet and private, so people in the public eye won't see how bored everyone is. Yeah, it's like an uh, what's it, uh, anonymous yeah. feedback box. I'll tell you, it? What, tell you what, if you have good feedback, tweet us at the Wembley Way with your good feedback. Brilliant. If, if not so much, email us at podcast at thewembleyway.com. Are you trying to steal my job? Yeah. <laughs> And uh, no, it is the end. We do promise. Um, thank you for listening again. Um, our final uh, word, as always, please subscribe to our feed, whether that's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. I've seen a few of them trickling now, so please keep them coming. Um, share us to your friends on social media. Follow us on Twitter at The Wembley Way, as we just said. Or remember to check out our website for previous episodes and the latest England squad power rankings at thewembleyway.com. Thanks again. I've been Tom. And I've been Nick. And See we've ya. been... Nick, you've ruined the outro. We'll do... Let's do it again. We're going to keep this in. Ready? <laughs> I've been Tom. I've been Nick. And we've been the Wembley Way. Good night. Yeah.